Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... Support for the Children's Book Podcast comes from listeners like you. Keep up the awesome. I see you, and I'm grateful you're listening. Oh, totally. I mean, that's where that malaise, like COVID malaise, comes in, too, because it, it adds a layer of heaviness over or onto everything that we do everyday tasks because we're not quite doing them exactly the way we did before. So I think, I mean, you'd have to be living in a cave to not be experiencing that. There are common threads that connect us. This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 602. I'm your host, Matthew Winner. Today I'm joined by Michael Genhart, accordionly, is a picture book about two grandfathers with, at first glance, not a whole lot in common. But what they do share is not only a love of the accordion, but, more importantly, a family. Michael's work tends to live in a space of welcoming and family. I know him previously from Rainbow, a first book of Pride, a soft introduction to rainbow families, as well as Love is Love. A picture book that reminds us, as Lin-Manuel Miranda once said, that love is love is love is love is love is love is love. And that love is for everyone and between anyone. Please welcome my guest, Michael Ganhart, author of Accordionly. Hello, I'm Michael Genhart, and I go by he, him, and his. And I guess like many people, I I wear several hats. I'm a husband. John and I have been together for almost 34 years. Yikes. Woo, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. I'm a dad. Uh, We adopted a baby at birth. And Gabby is now almost 25 years old. She's actually a teacher. She teaches marine science to third, fourth, and fifth graders in Washington State and is starting grad school in the fall, we hope. Uh, And so we're super, super proud of her. And I'm also a son and a brother. There are are seven of us, actually. And I'm a friend, a 
neighbor, community member. So by day, I work as a clinical psychologist, which means I help uh, folks with their worries and so forth. I work with kids and teenagers and adults. And in the evenings and weekends, I write books for kids. I also love to garden and listen to music and travel, go to theater and live music concerts. And I hope we get to return to those soon and <laughs> like to hike <laughs> and, uh, and just hang out with friends and, and family over casual dinners and yeah, that's me. Well, it sounds like you've got you've got a great life carved out there for you. And I love that that you and your husband have raised a teacher. That's so wonderful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're so proud of her. It's I Yeah, she's mm, Go ahead say. She's she's please she's, please praise your daughter. We would love to hear you praise yeah, your daughter. She's just lovely and was so easy. We were so <laughs> so fortunate and uh she is going to be studying environmental education. She wants to teach environmental science to kids. So I, I'm just super impressed with that. Good for her, her. The direction she's chosen. Yeah. You know, when I, not you know, but when I was growing up, I was one of those kids that I was like, I am going to be a marine biologist. And I think uh-huh. that <laughs> even when we see those little seeds planted in, in of interest, planted when we're young, there's definitely something of that still in me today and probably still in a lot of people today. That's probably what we do as writers too. We tap into those seeds that were planted or experiences that we had. And today, Michael, I'm so glad you're joining me because as I said, I've known your work for a couple of years now, but you've got this new picture book out with Imagination Press called Accordionly. And it's a funny title to say and a charming and lovely and beautifully illustrated book to read. So thanks for writing books because your books are fun to read. Oh, thank you. I, I especially love accordionly. It was really uh, inspired by uh, my dad who played the accordion when he was a little boy and life so when i was growing up he played the accordion he uh his parents were both born in switzerland and he was born in los angeles so he's a a first generation swiss american and um so this is just background about accordionly if you want to hear more about what inspired the story my mom is mexican-american her were both born in Mexico, and she's a second-generation Mexican-American. And the accordion is a really popular instrument in both those cultures, uh, the Swiss-German and and Mexican culture. Uh, ranchera music, polka music, both use uh, accordion a lot. And it and just so, so happens my... you had both of these in your family? Like, what yeah. are the chances? Yeah. It's so weird. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but... The other part of the inspiration was my grandparents spoke different languages, Spanish and Swiss German. So when we would all get together, they would speak a language to each other, but they didn't speak each other's languages. But then when my father would bring out the accordion, it just lit everyone up. Of course, music is such a one universal uh, tie. And so... I just loved when he would play uh, 
a recording, and everyone, of course, then could relate to to the music of the accordion in particular. So that was really the other part of the inspiration. I was writing it during a time my father became quite ill. He actually uh, died a year ago. And so I uh, wrote it and got to read several drafts to him. Mm. And, and so I really just wanted to honor him. And every time I read a draft to him, he just cried, you know, happy, happy tears. And so that's just, I just love that I was able to, to do that. And, uh, and also I just wanted to write a story about common threads that connect us and about families like so many in this country that are made up of several cultures. And I, I know I've heard from several kids who sometimes feel like they're not enough of either culture um, and so I wanted to write something that helped kids celebrate the, the richness of all cultures that make them, you know, who they are. So that was really important to me rather than feeling less one of them to celebrate every, every part of, of themselves and every culture that is part of their, their family. So yeah, so it was really fun. And Priscilla Burris was just amazing to work with, actually, as an illustrator. <laughs> Her art and, is so uh, fun. It's got this like yeah. wonderful. I I can't quite put my thumb on the way she draws people, other than I know I have seen that style in some like Studio Ghibli movie or something, some animated thing that I have grown up watching. She just has this wonderful, like, roundness mm-hmm. to faces, and somehow she's got sparkles in the eyes that aren't... I know they're not there, but I can feel them there. It's just, like, she just... She knows how to draw joy in people. Mm-hmm. I can't quite put my thumb on it beyond saying it that way. It's so true, and, and Matthew, if you're interested... She and I, you know, we had all these bookings for events and book festivals to do together. And uh, uh, they all got canceled, of course, oh, like everything course. else. Is she and from so a, around good. where you are? Or you were going to meet no, up she, for these things? She, uh, she's in Southern California. So okay. she was going to come up here for the Bay Area book festival and i was going to go down there for their for the la times book festival oh two big book and, festivals oh i'm so sorry I know. but you know what happened the bay area book festival went virtual oh, perfect. and so we did it uh so they recorded us and it's now online so uh priscilla did a little tutorial on how she draws so since you just commented on how her technique, if you're interested in, in looking up the Bay Area Book Festival, um, it's online now and you can see our our uh, dialogue. And in particular, you can see Priscilla drawing. And the the L.A. Times Book Festival got postponed for the fall. So that's going to happen either live or, or, or virtual. virtual. Sure. Well, I just made a note so that I can put it in the show notes as well, because it's not enough for me to see it. We'll want to let everyone get a chance to Mm -hmm. see it. But that's Mm -hmm. that's great that you got to do something. This is such a difficult time that I know so many events were canceled or changed or 
or they've just had to look different. At the same mm-hmm. time, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that books have continued to come out. I'm grateful to hear from, I have some friends that work with it, that work in independent bookstores um, or that frequent them. And it's so great to hear that um, sales, it sounds like at least in children's books, has not diminished. People still want new books and they're still seeking them out. So, so that's good to know. Um, although mm-hmm. we certainly miss the, the, I, I like what we do in the library where we uh, face the books face out that kind of advertising. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. But I'm glad that I'm glad that um, people are still having a chance to get to know your book and get to know your and Priscilla's work. Uh, I, Cause mm-hmm. I think it's, it's a really joyful book and it's so fun to know that it, it's so like autobiographical for you in mm-hmm. that way. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it, In it, fact, you know, Imagination Press. Sorry. No, please. Uh, I, I am I, so in love uh, with what they are doing recently. In particular, I've talked about it on, on on other episodes now. That I just feel like they're hitting a stride where one book after another. I'm like, this is so good. So please yeah. tell me more about Imagination Press. Well, I just they've been really, really good to me. They are, as you know, the children's imprint of the American Psychological Association. I just love their books and uh, they've been really supportive. And I, I really love that they are all about trying to help kids navigate uh, life yeah. somewhat easier. And so they um, have published a lot of my books, including uh, Accordingly. And oh gosh, now I can't remember why. I brought them up, but in any case, they've published a number of my my books and um, are always interested in what's next. So I feel super fortunate to have established a relationship with them. Now, a number of years ago, my first book with them came out in 20, 2016, which wasn't 2016. that long ago. Well, that's not but, too long ago, yeah. but still, I, yeah. that, that might have been around the time I first became aware of them because I had known Jason Wells from um, Abrams, I think is where Jason was. And when Jason Uh moved to Imagination, he reached out and said, I'd love to share some of this stuff with you. And since then, I've just felt like, wow, (laughs) some of the books feel like really good fits for using in the classroom to talk about tough topics. But they also are now getting to a place where I feel like they're just making great picture book read-alouds. I, I knew mm. them for a while as as being the books that always followed up their stories with, you know, like the one or two page sort of small font back matter for right. adults, for for parent from from um, often like psychology professionals on on how to talk about these difficult topics with kids, for teachers and parents to talk with kids, and that guide rather than being printed separately was just right there in the book. But now yeah. you've got picture books that are just standing as picture books and are are beautiful and have as yours does like double gatefolds and things. Like come on. Yeah. They are coming into yeah. their own here. <laughs> well, you know, that's a funny story because I had asked for the last illustration to be accordion like. Oh, yes. <laughs> and, and so I won. And so the editor, Christine Enderley, who's just so terrific, uh, and her team said, hey, how about a fold out? Because that mimics the expansiveness 
of the accordion. And so I was thrilled how that turned out. But now I remember why I brought them up. The back matter for accordionly, as you uh, probably saw, is not their ordinary note to parents, note no. to educators. No. But instead, they let me have uh, photographs of my family, including my dad as a little boy holding the accordion with his parents and also my mom with her family. And the photographs happen to be taken a year apart in the 40s. And so you and they look both of them like like immigrant families, actually. And so I was so thrilled that they let me add that personal touch. And as it turns out, Priscilla's dad played the accordion and she married. <laughs> she's married. She, she's Mexican-American and her she married a German guy. Oh, my and so goodness. She, she got she got to tell her story, too, at the back in the back matter. So it With just came together yeah. in a mm-hmm. beautiful way, a really personal, beautiful way. Um, so accordingly is much more, as you suggested, uh, trade in its in its look. And actually the book I did with them before, Accordingly, Rainbow, a first book of pride, was probably their first really trade looking book. It I has agree. no uh, has no back matter, just a little note from me to readers uh, as a rainbow friend to others. And as you know, the book is super sparse and simple and and really about, well, rainbows, but really about the colors of the rainbow flag, the meaning of each color. And those meanings were designated by Gilbert Baker, who, who made the original uh, rainbow flags here in San Francisco. And so I just love that let me do this book so simply and that they really packaged it as a, a trade book because a lot of their books are shelved uh, with, you know, issue type books. And so yeah. um, they don't get a lot of the, you know, commercial attention that, I think they ought to because I think the themes are themes that every family relates to in one way or the other. And so um, it's too bad that many of them you kind of hunt, you have to hunt for the books in, in bookstores if they carry them. But as they develop more and more trade books, uh, those are now, you know, as I go around to book events and, and so forth and do events at uh, bookstores around the country. It's just a thrill for me to see them outward facing. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, in, in the middle of the bookstore. They're doing uh, some really beautiful stuff and I remember Rainbow being uh, like a slightly smaller trim size, almost reminiscent of a board book. And the yes. the um, pages, the art in that just being beautiful. Again, so simply done, much like your text in accordionly, the text is just so simple and and just only what needs to be on the page, which then allows for these full page illustrations and for time for readers to just to just read faces and read emotion and joy on the page. It really does something when we are so careful with 
what words we choose to put down on the page. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I... I felt so lucky to do this book. And Anne Pashier, the illustrator, I thought did an incredible job as well. Super inviting and graphic and colorful. And I also, I wanted the book to be a, a kind of soft introduction to Rainbow Families. Sure. So every, every spread has a family with two moms or two dads. And, um, and then... The subtitle of First Book of Pride, wanting to kind of play on the word pride, as in Pride Parade, but also <clears throat> I wanted I wanted kids to feel proud of who they are, are. Uh, not just in terms of uh, rainbow families, but um, any any child in in any family. Just just a book about uh, pride as well. So again, playing on that on That's- that word. Yeah, that's what I walked away from. I remember reading it thinking, well, this isn't just a book for queer individuals and queer families to be seen, but also it's it's a book of just being proud of who you are. Hello, my beautiful book nerds. I want to tell you about a special book club I'm running on Patreon that I think you'll really enjoy. For $25, you can receive one book per month from a title featured on the podcast. Books are hand-selected in partnership with BrainLayer Bookstore. They ship anywhere in the U.S. and Canada, shipping included, and are also accompanied by a special book club mini-podcast episode available to all patrons at this tier, breaking down just what makes this book so special and so set apart. You love children's books, you love independent bookstores, you love this podcast, Let's combine all of that into one awesome piece of mail each month that can be enjoyed over and over for many months to come. The feature book we picked for July is When Stars Are Scattered, an exceptional middle-grade graphic novel from Newbery Honor-winning Victoria Jameson and Omar Mohammed. It tells Omar's true story of growing up in a refugee camp in Kenya, moving, truthful, and a powerful testimony of what it means to be family. And if you haven't picked it up yet, this is the perfect chance. Visit MatthewCWinner.com and click on Patreon at the top of the page, or use the link in the show notes to access Patreon if you feel like it's a good time for you and where you're at right now. And if it's not, sharing the podcast with friends over social media, word of mouth, or any other means still goes a long way. Thanks for listening sharing, for allowing me into your ears, and your laundry folding, and your dog walking, and your dishwashing, and your day. I love every minute of it. So I'm super thrilled with that, and, and they're doing another book with, I'm doing another book with them. Uh, comes out in 2021 which i'm super happy about it's really a fun book if you'd like to hear about that uh it's called uh they're so flamboyant <laughs> and, and it's that's illustrated by uh tony neal and i learned i couldn't believe this that a a group of flamingos it's called a flamboyance of flamingos, flamboyance of flamingos. And, I did and so 
I did not know that. And so when I learned that, I thought, heck yeah, I'm writing a book about a flamboyance of flamingos. <laughs> and so, and then I just started doing research on other names of bird groups. And who knew they're so funny? I mean, just really kind of wild names. And then the names sort of change depending on the, if the birds are are flying or if they're floating on water or yeah. walking. So the same bird groups can have different names. Anyway, They're So Flamboyant is is about a flamboyant of flamingos that flies into town and they're very pink and very proud. But the other bird groups are, well, they're feathers have been ruffled and so it's really about uh in a very kind of light and actually very funny way it's about biases that we carry around and about prejudice and discrimination based on appearances there's a twist at the end which you'll have to wait until 2021 to see that kind of brings it all together but it, i'm hoping that it helps kids see Again, and this is true for all of us, how we we carry around biases and sometimes don't even realize it, right? And uh, and but what impact uh, they have. So I'm really really proud of they're so flamboyant. So uh, let me and let me ask you a question, if you don't mind, about your writing process then, because for you to be able to say here and now, this is what this book is about, or accordionly is about music bridging the gap or how we come from these different cultures and there's no better culture and there's no not enough of 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 being in either culture it's 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 who you are is enough and is wonderful and beautiful when you are writing books for, when, when in your process do you set out with the idea of of what you're hoping to communicate through your story or do you find through drafts that that is sort of revealed to you through, through edits and through future drafts? I think Matthew, it's, I think it's a little of both actually when I, I sort of, I think once you start writing books, well, this is true for me, you start going about, uh, life, or life in, or just being in the world, kind of listening for stories. Mm. Not even knowing that you're listening for stories, but you kind of hear them, and they pop. You know, there's an exchange you might overhear. And as a therapist, I live in the world of storytelling, and I'm so privileged to, to be in that world because it's such an intimate um, relationship. And so I'm surrounded by stories. And so when I hear something that I think might have more universal appeal, I think, oh, there's a, there's maybe a story there. And sometimes the story reveals itself pretty quickly. Um, and, and sometimes not. <laughs> there is an idea that you just sort of sit with and kind of um, let it, you know, germinate and, I talk about it with friends, with editors that I've worked with, and over time, develop a story 
write really, really bad drafts. <laughs> which, um, <laughs> Good. Thank you for acknowledging step one, write yeah. a bad draft. Get it out of the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's always step one. Always. And, you ever show but now your, you... I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, I just have to ask when you're talking about visiting schools, do you ever show them a bad draft? I can't think of if I've seen, I don't think we've had enough school visits to see if, if authors ever tour showing you like, look, People write bad drafts. Here's what this looked like when it started, and here's the book you know now. I, you know what? I, I think that would be a terrific kind of school <laughs> visit. Most school visits, they want you to share your more recent book and right. inspiration behind it and all that and an activity. But I really think it would be helpful to for kids and grown-ups to see, uh, see what it starts as how it ends up and like the 35 drafts in between yeah i always value knowing that as you're saying with 35 drafts or however many drafts it takes to get there right you don't know how many drafts it's going to take to get there for each Mm -hmm. book but when we write with children often and i taught fourth grade for a number of years and now i teach you know pre-k to four i i think often we write with children and maybe sometimes we do like a first draft and maybe a second draft but then definitely we go to our final draft um Mm -hmm. never do we really have time to say but i guess also kids are developing but never do we have time to say like okay you wrote this piece in the beginning of the year we're going to revisit it 12 more times before the end of the school year and we're going to keep working on it every time (laughs) yeah i think with kids it's trickier right because um, i think that can be it can be kind of frustrating. Maybe with an older child, they would have process more. But I can tell you, I when I first started writing picture books, and I started to, to write them when Gabby was applying. Yeah, she was in high school applying for college to college, because I, I have a full time practice, but I used to volunteer at her school a lot in the libraries actually so got really really friendly with the uh, librarians which I, I just so miss those hours with them and so i i knew i would have some time and i just wanted to be in touch with picture books again because i love them i love reading them to gabby when she was little and so i think it brings me back to her childhood to Aww. writing those those stories and i i really love that but uh you know they're they're deceptive they're deceptively simple in that they're hard to write very hard to write well and so hence the 35 plus drafts because not only are you developing a story but you're wordsmithing uh, along the way, you really have, as you know, limited words, and so you you just have to get it right. And sometimes I'm changing the words with editors, you know, right before they hit send, you know, to the printer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> seriously. And then with once a- it's out, because once it's out, it's, it it belongs to the readers. Then yeah. got to make sure mm-hmm. it's ready for those readers, because then it's it's theirs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I would love if you don't mind. Could I could I read to you a little bit? I'd love for folks to get a sense of accordionly and and what what words you've put down here, because um, I think they're beautiful and I think they're it really 
feels like a love letter to these to these accordion toting folks in your life. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, well, and to hopefully to to music as an example of, of a common thread that ties ties us together. Yeah, but yeah, the accordion in particular because it's such a funny instrument that's you know quick quickly kind of captivating. I thought. And as you pointed out earlier, it's just fun to say in a title. (laughs) (laughs) So go ahead. What did you want to share? Why don't I read the first couple of pages? It it begins, the accordion is a funny looking instrument. Is Is it a little piano? Some kind of harmonica? My abuelo plays the accordion in a mariachi band. When they play ranchera music, he hoots and hollers louder than the rest. It's a fiesta every time he sings. And whenever we visit, my abuela makes tamales and arroz. My opa plays the accordion in a polka band. When they play, he belts out a yodel that makes the windows shake. He's the only person we know who yodels. And whenever we visit, my oma's lebkuchen and hot chocolate make us feel right at home. Abuelo and Opa always bring their accordions when they each visit me. Music and singing fills our homes. I'm going to stop there with music filling the home. Um, Because I think Mm -hmm. the way right off the bat, as you're saying, uh, you're you're blending both the child's love for these individuals and his life with the music that is inseparable from his family and from these individuals. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what I wanted to capture the love of music. And in this case, the little boy loves dancing to music, but also his love of family, right. And, and connectedness. And so, uh, the story, uh, where you do continue, uh, moves into this this discovery that the grandfathers who you know light up the house with their accordion music uh become rather silent when they're together because they don't understand each other's language and so he the little boy becomes sad because that part of his family that he's so used to being um you know light and musical isn't when they're together and so he he figures out a solution. <laughs> he does. And, and you can really feel that silence in the book though. Before we yes. get to that that we mm-hmm. we it, you have a spread um Priscilla has this spread where it's just like the boy staring at this long table. It's just said like mm-hmm. the one side of the table was really quiet and it's mm-hmm. the the grandfather's just sort of doing their own thing. Then mm-hmm. the the page continues they said please and thank you a lot, but not much else. We spent the day together in silence. We exchanged glances, but not words. I love the the phrase. We spent the day together. Period. In silence. Period. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and and I mean it's it's not unlike when the music stops. <laughs> Now, of course, the solution is to get the music back in there, because mm-hmm. in this part of the book, the music stops. Yeah, that's right. And and I think you're right. Priscilla does a great job capturing silence 
the the facial expressions and the the body language these pages feel silent oh yeah right and so especially because uh, oh no i was gonna say my, my my favorite spread one of my favorite spreads is when is is when we we get to the solution and you've got this almost like a a paint stroke across the page of like yellows and oranges of music and mm-hmm. i love the way that the that the the grandfathers their mustaches i think really accentuate their smiles i feel like that must yeah. be it whatever it is i i can't tell but I love I love their mustachioed singing. <laughs> I hadn't noticed that, but you're right. <laughs> you're right. Uh-huh. Uh huh. One of the opas, his mustache looks like a smile. It does, yeah. Uh-huh. Well, Michael, you've right. you've created a really wonderful, joyful book in this, and I also, just to say it apart from everything else, I'm really grateful for the the books you've written to help include and make inclusive spaces for rainbow families, as you call them, for, for queer individuals who, you know, we haven't always or sometimes ever seen ourselves in books and you're making space for our very youngest readers to know that there's space for everyone. We have plenty of space that everyone can be included and valued and loved. And I'm really, really grateful that that your books do that. And quite frankly, that there's a lot of stuff coming out from Imagination that is doing that as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you for, for your kind words, Matthew. I, Yeah, these books are really important to me, not just for in the spirit of uh, windows and mirrors, kids in queer families seeing themselves in books, which is super important. But the the windows component to that phrase, where since the majority of kids come from homes with a, a mom and a dad, that they see in this super supportive, friendly manner other kinds of families, right? In this case, rainbow families, and that that's part of their growing up uh, and their um, their life experience in a very normal way where my hope is that the issue over time becomes less of an issue, a non-issue. So I really wanted to write, and I'll continue to write, books where that's really the the theme where kids uh, see queer families, but more and more uh, the story is about some other story, you know, where the child just happens to be in a family with, you know, two dads or two moms or single mom or so forth. So, so yeah, inclusivity, uh, mirrors and windows on um, all about that so i thank you for recognizing that (laughs) also (laughs) i really can't wait for they're so flamboyant (laughs) (laughs) i'm just now endlessly picturing that in my head so wonderful Mm -hmm. well well, you know i have 
Yeah, I was just going to mention that uh, I did a uh, another book after accordingly that I wanted to, uh, as I mentioned, that was honoring my dad. And I have a book coming out in 2021 with Cameron Kids. Yeah. And they, they do beautiful, beautiful books. And so I feel so lucky to have one with them. And this one's honoring my, my mom oh. and, and her side of the family. It's called uh, May Your Life Be Delicious. And it's it's the story of a little girl who is her abuela is helping her, teaching her to make tamales, which is uh, many, many steps. When I was growing up, making tamales was a tradition, still is, on Christmas Eve day. And it's the women in the kitchen. And I was the only boy in the sea of women helping to make tamales. And it was one of my favorite days of the year <laughs> and in the story the abuela is teaching her uh, her nieta her granddaughter how to make tamales and every step along the way abuela imparts a little wisdom about life in a very soft sweet manner and uh, so the girl makes learns to make tamales she's absorbing these wisdoms and the story culminates and she embraces all these and she's sort of preparing to someday share these same steps if you will to her grandchildren so i wanted to write something about kind of oral history and passing stories from one generation to the next which is what happens in the kitchen when you're making tamales it's really about storytelling not just making tamales and all these generations are present. And so there's this very natural way of passing stories down from, from, you know, great grandmother to great granddaughter or son. And so I just wanted to capture that. And I think may your life be delicious does that. So I'm, I'm so thrilled to see that come out uh, next year. Mm. Well, yeah. Food and music. These things make us family. That's right. So wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> well, Michael, thank you so much again for setting aside time to talk to me today. I I really do appreciate your work, and I can't wait to see everything to come. Thank you for having me, Matthew. Of course. I, um, I of course, though, want to make sure that we end on the most important people, the readers. And so I'll, I'll, I'll leave you with this question. I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning, Michael. Is there a message that I can bring to them for you? You know, I was thinking about the different things that tie my books together, and I I suppose I would say that I hope that my books encourage kids to be self-reflective and to be thoughtful and kind, not only because I think it benefits every single child who does that, but it's beneficial to uh, a community. And so, I don't know, I, I just can't think of anything better than thoughtful, kind people coming together being the best that they can be. And at the same time, I, I hope my books also help kids embrace their uniqueness, their specialness, to feel proud of who they are, every part of them, from their smarts, to the cultures in their family, 
to the kinds of families that they grew up in and that they spread the word, you know, encouraging everyone to be part of the process of sharing their and embracing their uniqueness and, and at the same time making space for everyone else's specialness because you know everyone contributes to this big old world in their own sweet wonderful way and uh so i guess it's about uh inclusivity and diversity everyone has a voice and how important it is that we have the capacity to not use not just use our voices but to listen to all of them as well The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by me, Matthew Winner, in my library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 600 episodes at matthewcwinner.com. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the free music archive. All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and don't reflect the ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out the show? Become a patron and you can directly impact and help to sustain the podcast. Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that is a very good thing indeed. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cosy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.